fellow griever. You have found the Leftover Pieces Suicide Lost Conversations podcast, and I am Alyssa, your host. I am with you on this journey because my 21-year-old son, Alex, died by suicide on August 7th of 2016. Since launching this podcast in late 2020, I have followed my heart and expanded the leftover pieces to include books and an online community where I host Zoom support groups every week. It is there in this community that I lead other parents who have lost a child by suicide from survival toward hope and into healing. The website is also a resource hub, a connecting point for all survivors of suicide loss. You can find me, ways to connect with me, and links to everything that I'm doing in the community on my website, theleftoverpieces.com. Know that I'm always open to suggestions and feedback. And if you know someone that I should connect with to be on the podcast, please let me know that as well. So now I invite you to join me for real conversations, handed talk on hard topics surrounding the loss of our loved ones by suicide. I talk to other lost survivors, mental health experts, advocates, and on alternate weeks, I offer shorter solo episodes where I go down the rabbit hole to discuss things that have been on my mind or possibly parts of my journey that I feel would be beneficial to share. Every week, we explore the questions that haunt us, seek the courage to uncover the healing tools within us, and offer the comfort of a community that we all need so very much. It's true that our hearts and lives have been shattered, but come along with me and together Let's choose to find meaning and even happiness amid the leftover pieces before us. Welcome. Hello and welcome fellow grievers. Today, you've reached season four, episode 32 of the leftover pieces, suicide loss conversations podcast. And I'm Melissa, your host. And today It is my privilege to share with you a conversation that I had recently with two amazing stepdads who lost their stepsons by suicide. And we talk about a number of things in this episode. I personally know that in the world of suicide loss, I often hear about siblings as the forgotten mourners or the forgotten grievers. But I personally, um, while I absolutely agree with that, that it's extremely common for siblings to feel forgotten or secondary, I want to throw a hat in the ring for step parents. And in the case of this conversation, stepdads in particular, because I think they may be overlooked just as much, if not in some ways more. And yet I often think they may be the ones holding us together, especially us moms, but often our families in the wake of suicide loss when we do not have Um, a situation to be married to the biological parent of our child anymore for whatever reason. So while if you're starting to tune into this episode, you may be thinking, 
I am not a step parent. I'm not a stepdad. I'm the biological father. And we're still my I'm still married to my wife. So this doesn't um, pertain. I would challenge you that there is something to be had in this episode for everybody that has lost someone to suicide, whether you're a parent, a step parent, a sibling, a child, friend, or otherwise, because the insight that these men offer is invaluable. You're going to hear from Dave, who lives in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada, with his wife, Barb, and they lost their, he lost his stepson and Barb's son, Donovan, in November of 2021 at age 16. So only about a year and a half into their uh, loss, Dave shares openly about how this shattered their lives and how they are now trying to actively learn to live with this and what life looks like and is still evolving for them daily. We also hear from my own husband, Garrison, or GR, as we call him. And GR and I live in Orlando, the Orlando, Florida area. And uh, with our grand dog, Alex's uh, dog, Harper, and we lost um, my son and GR's stepson to suicide, Alex to suicide on August 7th of 2016, when he was away at college and 21 years old. And Garrison shares details with us about, you know, the day that forever changed our life, as well as some insight that he has to offer um, of our journey of nearly seven years since Alex died. Some of the things that these men talk about are their biggest challenges that they have faced since the loss, and obviously coming at this from a different perspective as far as one of them being about a year and a half in and one of them being almost seven years in. I found this part of the conversation very interesting. They also talk about their emotions, not only from the loss, but the emotions uh, that men experience in general and how those are handled. We talk about bridging the gap between not only peers and having hard conversations within peer groups and community in general, but also bridging that gap with young men. And then we um, round up with them giving advice, any advice that they might offer from their perspective of where they're at in their journey so far. And there's some really good other nuggets along the way. I really enjoyed this conversation. Not, you know, one of one of the gentlemen here is my husband. So but even every time I have a conversation with him for the podcast, I learn something new. Also, he allows himself to be open and vulnerable enough to share things that he may not have told me specifically in a certain way before. And then Dave is just an amazing man who I really enjoyed hearing his perspective and the love that he has for his wife and his family really shines through to me in the things that he has to say. So without further delay, let's dive into this conversation and welcome these two gentlemen. Welcome, gentlemen. It is my honor to have you guys both on the podcast tonight having this conversation. So I know that I've already introduced you to everybody. If you guys would each take a moment and share with the audience your last story, I would really appreciate it. And GR, if you'd like to, you can go first. Okay, I'll go first. Can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. So um, it's a little difficult, but Basically, the story goes, it was August 7th, 2016. 
just like any other morning we were up well i was up doing things around the home and um you were still kind of in bed kind of having not feeling well and not really knowing why and couldn't seem to you couldn't seem to get out of bed it was like you you get on saying something was wrong but you didn't know what it was and i was up just doing laundry and things like that i don't remember exactly what time it was you think i would remember that but i don't 12 20 12 20 <clears throat> so it was lunchtime and parker was living with us alex's young younger brother and anyways he comes home unexpectedly and comes up into the bedroom where you were still in bed and i was up i think folding laundry and as soon as he walked into the bedroom i could tell something was wrong <clears throat> just by the look on his face and the way he was carrying himself and he just said mom and you were like what and then you did get up out of bed i believe and we're standing there and my first thought was that he had been in that Parker had been in a car accident because he had been out and that maybe somebody had been seriously hurt or maybe killed. But then he just said those words and he said, well, I didn't expect this. He just said those words. He said, Alex is dead. He was mom. Alex is dead. And everything changed at that moment. Our lives were changed completely devastated, torn apart. And the way you reacted, I'll never forget the screams and the yelling. And, and of course, my first reaction was one of doubt and disbelief that somebody had called Parker and told him a, a horribly horrible joke or whatever. And so I pulled out my phone and tried to call Alex twice. And of course, nobody answered. So that was that morning that everything changed. And, and I know that within 30 minutes, probably even less than that, we were up, completely dressed, packed a small bag, and in the car for a three-hour drive to where Alex was living from where he was about ready to start his junior year of college. And in that car ride up there, well, we you called Lauren, his sister, and... I remember we were still at the house and within minutes she was there with her husband and just came running into the home and I could hear her crying. And then we all just piled into the car and drove. Well, that's basically that morning. And then everything changed and the car drive, the car ride up there. I know you were making phone calls and we were all the questions in it, but I just remember how quiet, or at least it seemed like it was, Parker was so quiet in the back seat. He was in shock and disbelief, as we all were. And then that's just when everything changed. And yeah. it has the same sense. And yep. Never yep, that's true. And uh, yeah, it was a Sunday morning, so it wasn't like I don't normally get out of bed until <laughs> that time. But yeah, it was, I, you're right, I couldn't, for some reason, I couldn't shake something being wrong that morning. And I remember you distinctly asking me, are you sick? Because I, I laid back down. I'd been up and down and up and down and I laid back down. I said, I remember saying, I don't feel sick. Something's just off. Right. And Parker yeah. had left, what, 10, 30 minutes before to go do some stuff with his friends. And it was just a few minutes before he walked back in the door that I had said that. And yeah, so I believe that I had known all morning that something was wrong. I just didn't know what it was because I just couldn't shake it. And it was just a mom thing. 
Well, that made me a believer of mother's intuition. Because you knew something was wrong and something was definitely wrong. Yeah, something in my universe wasn't right, for sure. So, I mean, I don't remember a whole lot about Parker standing in front of me other than the look on his face when he came in like you. I thought something was super wrong. I appreciate that. Thanks for sharing that. And Dave, if you would share with us your last story. Yeah, Donovan, my stepson. He lost his dad in May of 2019, around the time when I came into the picture. Donovan and his mother had moved to where I was in January of 2021, where we could all be together. In February, he asked for help as he was struggling with anxiety and maybe a little bit of depression. We didn't realize how bad it was until about April when he had his first attempt. He asked for for more help at that time. And uh, with a week of inpatient support and some additional counseling throughout the summer, it, it really felt like he had been making progress. Even though we all were struggling with the additional restrictions due to COVID and other things going on. Shortly after Halloween, we noticed that his mood had shifted again. We're in the midst of changing counselors for him at that time. And actually, it was the week of that we had lost him to suicide. That was on November 18th. And I think the biggest probably trauma or part of it was, is, I mean, you get that call. So I got the call from Barb, who had found him. And I couldn't even comprehend what she was saying. So it was very surreal. So I think just dealing with that and the impact of that, and like you say, GR, I mean, that was the day our lives changed. So. So you had to get the call from Barb and make your way home to her. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, just coming in the door and she's sitting on the step and uh, the police or no one had been here yet. And that's the one thing I wished, I always wished, is if I could have taken that moment away from her where she found him. Still in the beast. Things I wished I could have taken away from her. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It never, it never gets easier for me to hear. And while it gets a bit easier to talk about for me as years go by, as far as sharing my story, I still like GR when he started at the beginning, he said, well, I wasn't expecting this as he got a little choked up even seven years. And then I also say only seven years, right? We're at almost seven years, but then seven years isn't that long in a lifetime. 
And so I will think that I can get through something without any problem, probably like he just thought, and then it hits you from nowhere sometimes. And other times I anticipate it being difficult and it's not as, so this is, there's a podcast called Mm -hmm. Grief is a Sneaky Bitch and it's kind of true. You really don't always know how to navigate whether it's going to be good or bad. So we just go with it because this is hard. So as we're talking about the emotions of all of this, as it hit on that day, if you take yourself a little bit into the loss, even as early as the first few days or weeks, when do you feel, what do you feel like you're, and you're both at a little different place, obviously, you're at one and a half. GRs, we're only at six years and not quite three quarters. I guess we're approaching year seven. What do you feel like your biggest challenge has been so far, or maybe challenges, maybe it's changed. Maybe your biggest challenge early on is different than your biggest challenge now, but GR, would you speak to that a little Mm -hmm. bit? Yeah. Probably the biggest challenge, I think, as a stepdad, is, okay, well, for me personally, I when I came back into your life, Parker was a sophomore in high school. Alex was just graduating. So I wasn't around for when they were younger. I didn't have anything to do with their upbringing. So as a step, only having had known Alex for a handful of years, I think the hardest part of it as a stepfather from that point was seeing how his death affected affected the family, especially you as his mother and his brother and his sister, never mind the hundreds of friends that he had and all the other family, but just seeing how that affected everybody, because it affected me too. I was grieving, I was very sad, but then seeing how the people who had known him his entire life, how it was affecting them, especially you as his mother, and then not really knowing what to do and how to handle the emotions I was having as a stepfather, but then still also trying to be there as your husband and as a stepfather to his younger brother and his older sister. So it was a, there was a balancing act there where I think stepfathers, depending upon where they when they came into the picture, how much they had were involved in the upbringing of the children. Obviously, that's going to be different, but just seeing the effects that it had on you and his brother and sister and, and struggling on what to do and how to handle my own emotions. Because it, it seems like as a stepfather who had only been in Alex's life for a few years, sometimes I would have to keep my emotions in check. Because you as his mother, there's nothing worse than a mother losing their child. And so that was a challenge, especially at the beginning. Especially in the first couple of weeks, months, maybe the first year or so. Because I know I had some anger. I was angry about why did Alex do this? Why did he do it to his mom? Why did he do this to his mom, his brother and sister? And we had some talks about that early on. I don't know if you remember or not, but I had to figure out real quick to to take that anger and channel it into emotions and feelings that could be a little bit more supportive. So figuring out your role was kind of your biggest challenge. Do you feel like you were able to navigate that a little bit in those first few years? and get to a place that made more sense or was it harder than 
looking back now, does it feel like you've found your role? Well, look, well, yeah, I think so. I think so now, but it's it's been almost seven years. It's I'm trying to think back where I was, where Dave's at now in a year and a half. We were still, there were a lot of questions around Alex's death. And so there was all that that was going on. And you still, we still had to handle all those emotions. So I have found my role now as a stepfather, but at the beginning, it was hard to know when I could talk about my emotions and when I had to keep that, put that to the side because supporting you and his brother and sister were more important. That's where my work was. Well, and do you feel like some of that challenge that you faced had to do with, in in our case, Alex's biological father is alive. Now, he had a very touch and go on and off relationship with the kids growing up. And so he wasn't, I wouldn't say he was actively in the picture, but he was also not completely out of the picture either. He was present for the funeral he created some turmoil that week. There was a lot of his family around that we were actively dealing with in our home. So being faced with being and knowing that a lot of dads that are listening are in the same shoes, do you feel like that created any of the challenge or delicacies of how to figure out what your role was because there were all these biological family members around and you had to figure out what to do with that? Or did it even factor in because of intent? I mean, given our history, I wasn't a big fan of Alex's biological father to begin with. (laughs) So I kind of, and I knew that I knew where his spot was in, in the picture of the whole family. So I felt like my role as a stepfather wasn't threatened by him at all. It was more just learning how to handle my emotions along with your emotions and Parker and Lauren's emotions and just knowing when I could speak up and say something about how I felt and when I needed to be supportive of you and them and just put my stuff to the side. But no, I think that his biological father didn't, I mean, he created some issues, but that's what he always has done. But it Right, but it didn't factor in. I was just curious if it factored in that much for you or not, because in going to Dave and asking him to speak on his biggest challenge, if as a part of that at some point, Dave, you can maybe speak to whether the fact that Donovan had lost his father and that you were trying to kind of fill that role in his life, if there wasn't any additional challenge or stress to that in itself, because there, there you were the father figure. Yeah, I mean, GRI, there are so many things that you said I echo and I it just can totally relate to. I mean, early on, I mean, I'd mentioned that too about that one moment I wish I could take away from Barb just with finding him. But the other thing was, as I struggled with is anger. I felt, and it was like, I felt guilty, but I was feeling anger towards Donovan for what he had done. Basically, I feel like, I don't even know if it's the right way to say it, but to his mom. Uh So that was, and I don't know when it shifted, but at some point it shifted relatively early on where I just felt like now I was 
that anger part I kind of got over, but it was more of now I was more protective of him in the sense of whether it be a memory or just I don't know. I just felt like I was kind of defending that in the sense where it wasn't he wasn't doing it to someone else. It was something he was struggling with and just coming to the realization that there are certain things that in those scenarios, we, we don't maybe think about other people the way that we would or should. So I think that was early on. I think the other thing that I found was, is I just went into trying to be also more protective of Barb, trying to shield her from outside. And it was tough. I think the role as a father or as a dad or a spouse is one of the things we talked about is we, it's just that sense where we feel like we have to soldier on and we don't get to necessarily have our moment. We have to kind of work through a lot of those issues. With Donovan and I, again, when we, when I was kind of more of a part in their lives is right near the time when his dad passed. So I was very careful about, I always was very clear to him that I never wanted him to think that I was trying to fill his dad's shoes. I wanted him, I always encouraged him to talk about his dad because I know that was a big area of guilt because of some of the struggles that his dad had as well. So I think Donovan felt guilty for some of the time that he had missed with his dad. So I never wanted to ever feel like I was him to feel like I was replacing anyone, but I just wanted to kind of know I was there. So it was very, to me, it was a bit of a delicate spot. I, I don't know if I ever really had that down or navigated it proper, but I just wanted to always, I wanted him to always think that I was going to be there for him. And so that was hard to just as tough as things got, I wish you could have just spoke up. Yeah. So. Thanks for sharing all that. And in using your words for a minute and talking about soldiering on it's a great way to go into the next thing I'd like you guys to touch on, which is, and I stumbled around this a bit with the dads in the roundtable episode that I did recently, because Venus and Mars, right? Women and men don't always communicate and handle things the same. And so in talking about as a as a man, as a father figure, as a spouse, as a husband, trying to soldier on and kind of put your own emotions at bay. Putting our own emotions at bay and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and sucking it up and all the things, all the words that we hear in our society growing up as we meaning men mostly, but we women hear it about men. So then we oftentimes probably put that off too on men unknowingly, right? Assuming that they're going to let us be emotional because they're okay or they're going to deal with it. And I don't believe most of us think that anymore, but it's still hard to get over the perceptions and the constraints that we're used to living under. And so I guess my question would be, GR, as you think about responding to this, because it is really hard to talk about emotions, period, for any of us around subjects like this. But it's especially hard for men to talk about their emotions and their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so, but in the climate that we live in, the world that is our shattered life that we're trying to pick up and put back together, 
talk about how you've dealt with your emotions and talking about that as a traditional constructive of men kind of suck it up and then something hitting this deep and the shattering in your family. Mm-hmm. There really isn't any way to avoid an emotion, but how did you find that you dealt with it? How have you evolved in dealing with it now? Because the question I'd like you to answer before you're done is do you give yourself space to grieve now? And did you always? Because I don't think from what I saw, I'll just throw my two cents in that you always gave yourself space to grieve because you were so good at wanting to make sure I had the right space and the kids had the right space. So do you feel like that's the case? And if so, have you learned to to give yourself permission to have space to grieve and be sad about the loss. Not because this loss, just to be clear, is of Alex and of Donovan. But we all know the ripple effect of this loss. This is the loss of the life that we thought we were going to have, that we thought they were going to have, that the family was going to have. All of that changed the day they died. And so this is about that loss as well. So when I talk about grieving, it is, of course, first grieving for the loss of their human presence in our life, but it's also grieving. I mean, sometimes I've said you have to have grieved the loss of the person that you knew before this happened. So talk to me about your emotions and your grief as to how that's evolved and if you even give it any time and space. I think that before Alex died, I'd always been in the thought that things couldn't be that bad and you buck it up and you move on and things will get better. And you keep your emotions to yourself if you're struggling with something because I don't I, I don't have any children of my own and I don't have any brothers or sisters and my parents both passed away quite a while ago. So it had always been you just kind of buck up and keep going. But then after Alex died. I mentioned that one of the first things that the emotions that I had was anger. And it was like Dave said, anger towards Alex about why did he do this because of what he did it to you and to, and then just he was only 21. And then all of a sudden his potential and his future is gone. And I learned pretty quickly after I used to have this really poor view of this wrong distorted view of suicide and that all and that was another reason for a lot of the angers because it didn't have to happen but then that shifted after i began to learn more about mental health and people that struggle with depression and then when people get to that point with their mental health and they become suicidal and they get to the point where they actually decide to do it they're not thinking about their family. They're not um, thinking about dying. They're really, not thinking about dying. The they, they might be thinking that they're actually doing their family a favor or something like that, even though that's furthest from the truth. So my so that's as far as my handling of the anger, that shifted as I learned more about mental health and what Alex was going through and what other people go through when they get to that point. With the grief. I don't know, men aren't supposed to cry, but obviously when there are times when you and I will just be walking through the store or we'll be at our other job and a song will come on, there's a handful of songs that just trigger the the faucet in your eyes just comes on and you just start crying. It's like it's one of those songs. And But I don't think I have ever really dealt with the grief 
maybe as much as I should have, at least not forward straight to you. There have been times where like, I would be, I don't know, alone or whatever, and I'll be thinking about Alex and just really still to this day have those questions, the grief and the why, the, that question why, when I'm if I'm in the shower, getting ready for work or doing something with work or whatever, you still, you see every once in a while still today, I'll see somebody. This only happens with my dad too. Like I'll see somebody that reminds me of my dad. Sometimes I'll be out there. Like when we were just on vacation this past weekend, I saw a couple of young men that look like they could be Alex. Of course I know they're not, but that's completely off. Off the subject, I'm drifting here, but that's okay. Now, with the grief, I mean, because of what you do in the grief realm, you've helped me a lot just with the conversations that we have when we're sitting at home alone. So with that, my grief has has evolved along with you. So I feel like I've been able to grieve probably more than maybe some stepfathers do who feel like they had to fill the role of the biological father or still haven't found their role with the mother and if there are any brothers or sisters or yeah but you said something that's really important and i'm sorry i'm not i don't want to cut you off but you said that when you said us talking about it helped a lot i think that just saying that is important to hear because communication especially when things are this hard is all that more important, right? So I think that the hardest times we had was when we weren't communicating well. Right. So, right. So that's, so I I have learned that in the very beginning when I felt like I had to keep my emotions in check because I was afraid to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. I have learned that it is good to talk about the person that's passed and it is good to talk about your emotions. And if you have to get a little frank and personal with it, it's okay because it's all part of it. And you sit there and you talk. It's, it, this is what it is. It's, you can't, nothing's going to change. So you have to talk about your raw emotions rather than keep them bottled up because then eventually they'll explode and that can create even more issues. Yeah. So okay. I want Dave to speak to this part and then we'll kind of do, you guys can both speak to a part two of it, which is, well, I'll just wait and bring that part up after Dave talks. That way you don't have to get it convoluted with what we're talking about. But Dave, you want to talk about soldiering on as a man and where that has evolved in the year and a half that you've been dealing with this? Yeah, I think to some degree, it's still something that I struggle with. I mean, it's like PR said, you're you're trying to do everything to support your spouse and your partner and the mother. and to me, I always visualize things as I think about there's a grief circle I've seen where you just, you never dump in, right? You're always dumping out. And so I, I feel like I'm always in that role where I'm been still trying to protect others from kind of grieving towards Barb as much as possible. I try and protect her from that. But it is just one of those things where there's so many emotions early on that I would echo everything that you said, GR. I mean, it just... It changes a lot. And I'll say I still haven't got it figured out, but I think like communication is important. I've learned that to talk about Donovan as much as possible with his mom and share ideas. I know sometimes I always worry about if she's having a good day that, and I have a memory or 
a feeling. I always worry about that I'm going to trigger something in her. So I, that's always a, a tough thing to find a balance. I think early on, there was lots of times I didn't share my feelings or maybe give myself enough space to grieve. And that's why I still think I'm dealing with it now as much as I am. So I, I think talking about it is important and just making sure we remember those memories. And I, GR, I still have the same thing. I There's a kid walking down the street and it's like, that's how Donovan would have looked right now. And, or just in a different scenario. And I just, you have those flashes, those memories of where they would, where they should be right now, not where they are. So it is definitely always a bit of a challenge. Yeah. So this is, can I say something real quick? Of course. With the triggering, I don't think I've ever mentioned that to you, but sometimes I'll see somebody that would either have been around the same age that Alex was when he died or would have been the same age that Alex would be now if he was still alive. And I, like, I don't ever say anything. We could be sitting right next to you, to each other, and I could see somebody that reminds me or what I think Alex would look like or maybe how he would be dressing. And I don't say anything to you about it because I don't want you to see that person and see the same thing and it would trigger you. Oh. I mean, you and I talk about Alex a lot and we the conversation of mental health and suicide is in our household a lot. So relatively at ease. But it wasn't always. To be <laughs> clear, this all. podcast started when I was, when we were four years into our journey. So a couple years past where Dave even is now. So we navigated this pre-podcast, pre-me talking to the world about this for four years. So it isn't like we've always had the podcast, you know what I mean? So just to be fair, it isn't like I started doing this right away. And we were, this actually was part of what I said, uh, how I needed to deal with it. Right. So that's an interesting thing for you to say, because you would think that I would occasionally see somebody and do a double take. The only person I've ever done that with is my dad. I sometimes occasionally still feel like I have seen my dad pass by and he's been gone for as long as your dad, 25 years now. But I still occasionally will like do this and feel like I saw my dad. I have yet to do that with Alex. The first time it happens, I'm sure it'll stop me in my tracks. Chances are, if you pointed it out, I probably would say, well, no, it doesn't look like Alex to me, but who knows? I might say, oh my gosh, but I find it interesting that there's still that protective mode even now it's touching to hear because no i didn't know that you on a i wouldn't say regular basis it sounds like several times you've had it happen a couple yeah, of it's not like it started happening a week or two after he was gone it's just been recently maybe like in the last year or so and but I, I would think that's because you've maybe become more open to because we've become more open to signs and different things like that as the years have gone along and in some ways, it sounds strange, but you've probably gotten to know Alex even better because there has been so many talks of, I mean, time has passed. So because we haven't allowed his memories to die, you've continued to get to know sides of Alex without him here, but to hear the stories, to hear the memories, to see the photos that you wouldn't have seen all of before he was gone. And so you are continuing to get to know him a little bit on a different level, but then knowing that he is so present in our life in spirit, which is different than a kid that calls once a week or your kids that you see a couple of times a year at Christmas or whatever. 
And so I would say on some level, that's interesting because I believe that then what's probably happening is a sign. It's it, there. That's how Alex is somewhat choosing to possibly show himself to you at times that you either need to know that, feel that, because it doesn't have to be him for him to nudge you and for you to have that feeling. And so I would say that may be some of it because there have definitely been times I've asked him to feel like he's around more. And there have definitely been times I've asked that you feel his presence a little bit more. And he's going to do that in different ways for all of us. But I would say that is maybe one of them. So, yeah, we went down a small rabbit hole, but that's what happens on these podcasts. Yeah, Dave. But it's one of those things where, you know, it's just trying to find that balance. And sometimes I just found it was automatic where I would be hesitant not to say something, right? Just because, again, I didn't want to necessarily trigger Barb. And again, it's tough to navigate. I don't know that I still know when it's the best time and when it's not. I can tell that if it goes too long, then I feel that she feels a little bit more sadness because we're not talking about maybe enough. So it's tough knowing that balance. And again, it's the same with the other family members too. And I too, I'm still learning about Donovan. I had a, only a few years before his passing and I didn't get to have all those same memories and share those things. So I'm still learning stuff about him too. So I do want to hear these stories and I do encourage the discussion. So yeah. yeah. We touched a little bit on this, and this wasn't something that we talked about beforehand. So sorry to kind of throw one at you, but it occurred to me as we were talking, guys, that early on, I know that with Garrison and I, we have a, that's why he alluded to before and whatever, we had dated for college, our college years. And then I, when I left our college town, I actually went back to my high school boyfriend, who is my children's biological dad which was where he alluded to Rich not being his favorite person on the planet. So that's where that came from. But because we had been back together before, and because we did have several years together before Alex died back together, and we're building a life, we were building, we had bought a home, we were running a business together, we, we were building a future, the kids were all headed in great directions. And I want to know whether you have anything to say about the fact that, and you don't have to address this part, but I know early on, I said a lot of things to the effect of this isn't what you signed up for. And I wouldn't blame you if you didn't want to stick around because I felt very clear that these weren't, this wasn't your biological child. This wasn't, we, you signed up for the happy life. Right. And so for some reason, because you were not his biological dad, I felt a guilt that you were getting now suddenly you had been signed up for something that wasn't part of the deal, right? There was no, no sub clause for this. So speak a little bit to the loss of the wife that you had and how, because I know the things you said to me and they were amazing. I don't know how you have had the ability to be as supportive as you have been given that you don't have biological children, given all the things but you've always been amazingly supportive, but I was resistant to wanting to, I don't know what word to use besides say to continue to drag you through what I didn't even know how to navigate myself. Cause I know several times I said, I don't know who the heck I'm going to be when this all settles, if it ever settles, 
So how do you know you want to be in this? Speak to that because it isn't just dads listening. It's wives that are in my shoes early on that need to hear what you have to say about the loss of your wife as you knew her. Well, I didn't lose her. She just changed. And so, but we all changed. Everybody changed that, that morning. And then as time went on, we've all changed. So I didn't lose you. You just changed. Well, yeah. I'm going to rat on you because, and then you can speak to it. But when I said something to you one time about you didn't sign up for this, you said, I absolutely did. I signed up to be with you no matter well, what life dealt us. Right. That's what I was going to say. You know, when you make a commitment to a person, you sign, no matter what happens in your life, you deal with it, whether it's the loss of a child, regardless of how that happens, or if you never have anything bad happen to you and you live long, healthy lives and all that. You sign up for it to go through it with whatever happens. I I know that if the roles were reversed and I had lost a child and say you didn't have any children, but we were still married, if it was completely turned around, you wouldn't leave. You would still be here supporting me and supporting my family. So and it's not a guilt thing. It's just you make that commitment and you just deal with it as things come. And if you don't know how, you figure it out, and eventually you will. So I think that at the first few weeks, there were some tense times. The first month, maybe the first year, when I was figuring out my emotions and figuring out my place, and we were all figuring out our new places and the dynamic of the family without Alex. But I think in the long run, it has made us closer as a couple, and it's starting to the family is starting, the immediate family is starting to come back together somewhat with the brothers and sisters that are involved. But I could easily see where something like this, a tragedy of this magnitude in a family could drive a husband and a wife apart, especially because they may blame each other or they're going to grieve completely different. Or you could see where a stepfather or a stepmother would say, I didn't sign up for this, and this is too hard, and, you know, what it's done to you, you're not the person that I loved, not the person I fell in love with. I could easily see where the emotion of all this could be too much for somebody to, and then they would leave, whatever the situation might be, but that's just, I don't know, that's just, it was never a thought, really. I mean, I could see where it could happen, because it is hard, and it's not something that somebody wants, Not you don't ask for this, but it's happened. And so we just have to deal with it. Dave, do you have anything to say to that? I know you guys are a lot earlier on in this journey, so I don't mean to put you in a weird place. No, I mean, I think that's important because I think it is a common thing. I can see where, to me, I kind of feel the same as GR. I mean, I honestly, I fell in love with her. And it's her heart, her spirit, her everything. So, yeah, we, I may not have signed up for this, but I signed up for her. Right. So I think that's the biggest thing. And I do see, I mean, I could definitely see just, again, you alluded to it as well. People grieve so different all the time, and they're always in different places. It is a roller coaster ride. 
just the emotions. And when you think you get something figured out, something else comes at you. So I think there is a level of we just got to deal with things as they come and not worry about the things we can't control, but worry about the things we can. And But uh, yeah, it's still something that, that we work through. And I think the key is communication and talking about it. They're not always easy conversations. And, but yeah, I'm, I know Barb and I have talked about that too. And things have changed. It is, everything's changed, but so have I. So for, I, I don't think it's one of those situations. It's just my feeling, but I just feel like you can't go through this and not have it change you. And so, yeah, I see how much she is hurt and changed. And, we don't know what that looks like down the road, but I mean, the same thing goes for me too. So I'm there for her and I, I trust she's there for me as well. So, and I believe that. Yeah. And I will say that seeing it from a different side helped me a little bit more this last two two years ago, not quite two years ago, just so about a year and a half ago when GR was diagnosed with cancer, there was a point in that with and I was keeping a lot of my fears to myself because I was, it's like, it wasn't the same, but on some level there was a role reversal for us. And I was able to see some of those protective feelings come out and silently to myself in journaling and things, I was able to work out some of that. Was I contemplating leaving him because he was going to disrupt our life with this cancer he didn't ask for and all of that? And absolutely not. Like, I mean, I, again, I signed up to be with him, whatever that looks like. Life isn't fair. It is what it, it comes at you the way it comes at you. And it was the first time I really had some peace with understanding that, uh, that love, right? That not that I didn't understand his love before, but, you know, this decimates a mom on a level that you can't even put words to. And so when you find yourself thinking, how am I ever going to be able to give him what he deserves or whatever? It's hard to put that now. I feel like I do give back more now than I did for a while, but it's just interesting to be able to have seen it from the other side just a little bit, just to get that glimpse and to say, well, of course I get it. Of course I get it now. When you love somebody, you just, you're there for them. So, but it was an interesting perspective to see that. and realize that you don't sign up if you sign up for a perfect life you've <laughs> you're in the wrong game anyway right that's not going to work no matter who you're with i guess so yeah mm -hmm. i would just say that we have to let ourselves off the hook and let people be there for us and let them love us through it no matter what that looks like so in talking about the emotions and winding up that part a little bit how would you guys say that the conversation should evolve with men in general so that we can have more bridge conversations unless men find themselves in the position of feeling like they can't talk about it. Therefore they in their life. And this also goes for just talking about emotions in general, because men shouldn't walk around for 10 and 20 years, not talking about their grief when they are heavily grieving too. So Whatever the stressor is, how do we open conversations or set examples for peers 
but also for the younger generation so that the young men feel like they don't have to keep their feelings in so much. What does that look like from where you guys sit? Well, Dave? This is Dave. Yeah. I mean, I have a 16 year old boy. And so I think one of the things that I've been sharing is as I talk to other dads in the similar situation where they've lost a child to suicide is what would be one thing that we could do? And I think it's almost like we weren't kidding, but we were just saying, if you could sit down a teenager and you get them in that spot where they're often in that phase where it's like your parents don't know anything, but if you could get them in that spot and just say, you know what, if you don't hear anything else, I need you to hear this and talk about being able to share things or if you're struggling with things, find a way to have a conversation. And I always felt like growing up, or not growing up, but raising my kids, that I thought I was good about showing my emotion. I didn't really seem, I didn't think I hid a whole lot. But yet I feel like my son is, it's just almost natural to them that they keep these feelings inside and they don't share these things. And Somehow we need to sort of have a, like I say, a standard operating procedure where we sit them down at a certain age and say, we need to have a conversation and it needs to, it's talking about sharing our emotions and being able to talk about some of these things because life gets hard and we've got to be able to know when to ask for help. And so I think that's, if anything, I think that's one of the important things. Yeah. I agree. And being able to start those conversations with your own son gives you a good basis for then what you're modeling for him to be able to do going forward too. GR, you don't have a, a biological son, but you, we, you saw Parker still, he's not living with us anymore, but he did live with us a couple of years. We did send him to college on the heels of his brother's memorial service. So you would say that he wasn't living with us while he grieved, but he was because he was at a college that was 10 minutes away. He was at a private college that was very close. And so even though he had to technically move into the dorms because he was there for baseball, when you're 10 minutes away, you're home every weekend when you're grieving the loss of your brother. So he was still home an awful lot. We still had him in the house an awful lot. And then he changed paths. He was home for the summer and went to another college after that. But having him in the household and just being around you've had the opportunity longer than Dave in the grief journey you've been doing this longer and him being around other men in general what would you say to this topic about approaching not only approaching young men and being an example but how do you talk about men just sharing in general well, I would, as far as Parker's concerned, I've let Parker know that I, and not just with the death of his brother, but just with other things as he's turning into fine young man, is that I'm here for him, but you know, I know that he's also got you. So I, I feel like I'm kind of second tier as far as him coming to a parent for any help or advice, or, but he has come with some things. But just as far as men in general, it seems like there's there's a lot of stigmas out there. There's a stigma about mental health. There's a stigma about suicide. You can probably put a stigma on just about anything, but there's a stigma about men showing their emotions. And you have to get rid of that stigma so that men are not afraid to show their emotions. Because 
I think a lot of men are because they think that their wives or their girlfriends or their children will think that they're weak. And when in all actuality, showing your emotions and expressing yourself and talking with your loved ones is a sign of strength. And your wife, your girlfriend, your children would be more than happy to sit down and listen to you talk and cry and spill all your emotions out there if it made you a better, more sound, healthier person. So I keep on saying this with getting through the stigmas. It's like with people who are suicidal, there's all this stuff about all this help that's out there, but you have to get them to go find the help. It's like Dave said, if, if Donovan had just asked for more help or if he had just, maybe if Alex had asked for, if you just get past that stigma, to get them to get these young people to quit seeing suicide as an option. It's the same thing with any kind of stigma, whether it's just with mental health or you just have to get the men who are struggling with their emotions to knock down that stigma so that they will come out and talk. So being willing to have hard conversations sometimes is, I think, what I'm hearing you say some of. And I know that I have seen you do that and we haven't even discussed it necessarily openly. Like I haven't said to you, please do this by example, but I have seen you in various scenarios where I believe many men would shrink away from bringing something up or continuing a conversation about Alex or about suicide or about how hard this is. And I've seen you not only bring it up, but I've seen you lean into the conversation before with people that are not always, they don't always know everything. They may be, we may be having dinner with an old friend of yours that we haven't seen in five years or more, and they barely know anything. And they want to dance around it and pretend like it's not going to be something that we discuss. And you'll lean into it and you'll bring it up or you'll say something. And I think that it's important for me to tell you that I noticed that, but it's important for me to also say that I hope that's an example to the other men that you're with when you do that, because I think it's incredibly strong to be able to say, to be able to do that, to be able to lead with talking about your wife's dead son when probably those people are going, just don't talk about her son, just don't talk about her son. And you're willing to talk about it. You're willing to bring him up. You're willing to talk about what we're doing and all the things and know that it's important that we continue to talk about emotions and that we continue to talk about Alex and that we talk about that this is hard and that you're okay to get choked up when you talk about it for a second. Not that you sit there and fall apart, but that you're okay to say that this is hard and this is how we're dealing with it. And I think that's really important. How do you have anything to add to that, Dave? No, I echo that. I think it's, okay. I mean, I haven't got that all figured out yet. And that, Takes a um, while. <laughs> yeah, it's just finding that too, because I think it's important even as in the male in this situation as being the stepdad. I think it's important that Barb also sees that I start those conversations and have those conversations too, because too many people do try and avoid the conversation and they don't realize that it's more hurtful mm-hmm. than mom. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm right in my head. Okay. Oh, yes, please. No, I was going to say about the, what you were just saying about me talking about the stuff is that I've only gotten to this point with talking about the grief and stigma and uh, talking about Alex. I love talking about Alex. I love hearing stories that you tell, hearing stories that, especially Parker, because he's got more with his brother. But I'm only at that point because of what you do. And, 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 uh, it's because of the leftover pieces in the podcast and all the books and all the other mothers that you are working with and people like like Dave and the other fathers that have been around that is the only reason why I'm comfortable talking about something as serious and as tragic as suicide and as horrific as the loss of a child. It's because of you and what you do. And I've always said that you're the most loving, caring, thoughtful person I've ever met. And I think that the loss of Alex has just made you even more loving and caring and thoughtful because it makes us all aware of just how fragile we are and that we don't know when our time's going to come and we're not all going to be, nobody's going to be here forever. So. And I will say to Melissa, Barb and I have, we started like shortly after the loss, Barb found your podcast and I've listened to all the episodes too with her and I too would say the same as what GR said. I wouldn't know half these things and that I know and without listening to your podcast either. So it's been a great help for me as well. Very eye-opening. So, Well, that's, I mean, the whole point of this is conversations, right? Is to have hard conversations because when the bell went off for me that said we can't quit talking about this we can't quit talking about our and it was driven from a place of well I'm not going to quit talking about my kid and I'm not ashamed about my kid I'm not ashamed of what he did that doesn't mean I don't think that it's tragic but I there's never was any shame associated with my son there was a lot of emotions but shame wasn't one of them and I thought What's going to change? How are we going to change if we don't stand on the mountain and scream about it, right? And so obviously nobody's screaming, but I do feel like if we don't have consistent, persistent conversations around the topic of grief and loss and suicide and our children, that there isn't going to be any meaningful change. So is it hard to do this? Yeah. Does it, do I think it makes a difference? You guys just saying what you did tells me it makes a difference. So it makes a difference to listen and to learn, but it also makes a difference to participate. And that's why you being here, both of you being here is so important because you're part of it too. That's what you're doing. You're making a difference and you're standing up and being a voice so that somebody else can get their voice as well. And so, and I feel like I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt now. I mean, my son led me, but at this point, the connected community that I'm so heartbreakingly glad to have in my life, a community that I couldn't live without, was we were all purposely led to be to each other from our children. I mean, our children are working from beyond to connect and to create a legacy for their lives that is larger than any of us realize right now. So it is bigger than we are. So 
it's a minor part. I have a, I have, I've always had the gift of gab. I have a microphone and some headphones now and the internet. So wielding my tools, if you will, I, I hung up my whisk and knife and got some headphones and a microphone, but I would say that this has a little bit more meaning than that. And it's, I still cuss my son out on a regular basis for this not being what my intended purpose in life was supposed to be. But I do think that given who these amazing kids were that feel like they're guiding all of our steps now, it doesn't surprise me that the work that's coming out of their moms, which is your wife included, has such meaning. It's going to really make a difference. And this isn't how we wanted to make a difference, but it's what we have. And boy, their life is worth it. Their life is worth it. So it's, yeah, it's been, it's a journey and we haven't figured it all out. We won't ever figure it all out. Right. So we talked about how this loss has affected relationships. Like we talked about the spouse relationship, mostly in GR's addressed kind of the family, but is there on a bigger scale or lesser scale, if you will, however you want to look at that, has this affected relationships even with people in the outside world? Has been has this loss either directly or indirectly caused any changes in any of your other relationships? I'm just curious because with women, it's almost resoundingly yes. But because men compartmentalize so differently, I wondered if for the most part, it was a little different with you guys, if you haven't found the residual relationships affected as much. So you're talking about like outside of the family, like some of my closer friends that I've known. Sure, GR, or even, I mean, I'd have to think back because I get that we were, I mean, Dave's self-employed as well. So we had our, we were self-employed. It wasn't like we were going to a, an office with a bunch of strangers necessarily. So I realized we didn't have that scenario, but yeah, I mean, I would say other children, but you've talked about Lauren and Parker a little bit. Dave hasn't really spoken to whether this has been a good or bad thing with his family in general. So maybe we'll let Dave speak for a little bit. So I mean, it's it's been a little bit of both. I think there's ways that it's brought us closer to my kids and there's ways that I think it was like, even though the boys were kind of getting very close, my daughter wasn't maybe as close with Donovan as Sawyer. So it definitely affected Sawyer in some ways. And so there too, I think it's changed our relationship. I'm trying to be more open, but I mean, it is also dealing with at the time a 15 to 16 year old and, and they're caught up in their own emotions and issues. So, yeah, I, and as far as through work, I think there is some level. I always feel like, again, maybe it's me that's saying it to myself, but it doesn't affect me the same way because I'm not his biological dad. I, I feel like I say that, and I sometimes feel like maybe others think that as well, that it shouldn't affect me the same. So I think that's sometimes hard. You get that feeling where you maybe aren't feeling understood. But uh, yeah, as far as that goes, I think our friends have changed a little bit. It's a little bit different too because Barb had just moved here and so she didn't have as many close connections. But so I think her connections have changed as well, definitely. So yeah, it, it definitely has affected that. But 
You know, I, again, it's just one of those things where I think if you realize, if you can recognize that this is going to change and this is something that's happening, it's just how do you best deal with it? Yeah, because the gravity of this situation, the gravity of the life change that it is dictates that there's going to be changes. And I mean, everybody sitting here has also been through changes of even relationships, which are losses in themselves. And I don't think any of us have been through any of these big changes where you don't look back and see there are some shifts in the circles that we have and the people that maybe aren't there as much or even at all. And so I just know residual relationship losses is common. And you guys just saying, yeah, it does shift a little bit and change is just the validation of sometimes that's just part of it, right? Everything changed mean means sometimes everything changes. So yeah. You know what I will say, actually, one of the things that maybe has also been a positive change, I mean, was we've met other families that have had similar losses. When it comes to other, like, guys or the male side, I don't know, I feel like there's a little bit more of a connection where there's a little bit more freedom to talk. Mm-hmm. There was a few individuals, we went on a retreat, and it just seemed like you'd known them for a long time. And... You can say things that you maybe wouldn't normally say to other friends. And I heard some dads say, too, they have kind of two sets of friends, friends that they maybe just go golfing with or do stuff with. They don't talk about maybe some of the close family issues or things like that, or they don't talk about their feelings with them. And then they'll have other friends where they'll talk. They can talk more about, more openly about things. And I, too, have found some of those dads, and it's like sometimes it's not even We'll share pictures like just on text and it's about barbecue and then something like that. And then it'll be, how are you doing? Kind of thing. And they know right away what you're talking about. So I think there has been some positive things and I wish that for all the dads out there too. Don't be afraid to find some support groups that have common situations and make those connections because they're very important. I think that's really powerful. I don't know why I didn't think that we were going to talk about that initially, but I love that you brought it up. And I think that it's a really powerful thing to say that out loud because I'm assuming because you brought it up, you don't mind me saying that I know that you and Barb have attended two grief retreats, weekend grief retreats. I was honored to be there for one of them, but I know you guys have attended two and then I don't know what other, I know Barb is involved in support groups, but just to hear you say the difference it is, because I watched some of that at the grief retreat we were at, not only was with the women congregate, but to see you guys, the men be able to congregate in a room and have conversations. I think that's a really powerful thing to say out loud, because I think a lot of men probably go, well, my wife has her stuff but they don't feel like they have stuff. And some men say they have a hard time finding that. But I think searching for those things, and I'm constantly trying to add things to my resource page so that there are options for everybody. There's never enough options for men. So as many as that can be made, the better. But just to hear you say, it is easier to talk about when you're with people that have a shared experience. So because we, I know that as a mom, but to hear you say it is really powerful. So, 
think it's just, I think anyone that's lost a child to suicide or lost someone to suicide, I mean, it's one of those losses where I feel like unless someone's been through it, it's like they don't get it. And I think that's just a feeling that you get maybe naturally. I don't know. But, you know, when you're in a shared experience like that, and it's like, okay, you hear people's lost story and as an opener and you very quickly understand or see that they get it. I mean, they're experiencing, they've experienced the same thing you have in some ways. Yeah. So in some of the same emotions. So I think it's, it just means another thing. It's just a different right. type it's, of it's relationship. A, it's a healing thing to be able to have a shared experience with somebody and to be able to vocalize that. And anytime somebody hears us, and I guess I'll take this step further, anytime somebody sees us, and that's what it feels like when somebody is able to truly acknowledge, not just quickly listen and walk away because they want to get away from what you're saying, but when someone truly mm-hmm. sees us where we're at, it's validating in itself. So, yeah, I think that's what shared experiences do for people is they allow each other to be heard and seen in a way that they don't feel like they are when they're with people that don't understand. So as we wrap up, I'd like each of you guys to speak to any advice that you would have for anyone listening And of course, that means knowing what you know now and where you're currently sitting, any advice that you would have for other stepdads, especially, but you're not just speaking to stepdads, you're also speaking to everybody that loves them and has is listening as well, the wives and kids as well. What advice would you have going forward, GR? Do you want to start? Sure. Well, I know we've been talking a lot about how important it is to talk about your grief, talk about your loss, talk about the the son or daughter that's no longer to tell the story so that they live on. But as far as just general advice, something that I've learned, and this can be pertained to pretty much anything, is that it's better to listen more and talk less and try not to have all the answers because you don't. And you never will. And don't try to fix it because there's no fixing this. You know, I think that's another thing, stigma that goes along with men is that we got to fix everything. Whether if it's something broken in the house, we have to fix it. If there's somebody struggling with something, we have to come up with the answers to fix it. And when it comes to the loss of a child, period, or especially the loss of a child by suicide, there is no fixing it. There is, you'll never have all the answers. And so it's, sometimes it's better to just listen to the mom or the sister or the brother talk and just listen and listen more and talk less. Thanks. I think that's great advice. Dave, what about you? Yeah. I, that's one of the things I had written down to is just again everyone's in a different place so i think understanding that everyone's always going to be grieving differently but i think early on i felt that there too was i felt like i was trying to figure out ways to find solutions and like you say fix it and there is no fixing it and i think it's just important to make sure that you're listening i think the other thing that i found very helpful in getting support was that getting counseling is okay go talk to someone you're going to be in a situation where, you know, a lot of the feelings and emotions you have, you can't necessarily share with your spouse because they're trying to work through the things themselves. And 
So just making sure that you have someone for yourself to talk to. If you're fortunate enough to find someone in the in a similar loss situation uh, that you could talk to and relate to, I think even just hearing GR talk, I know early on there I was thinking that there's feelings that you don't know if ever go away. But listening to GR, it's about things will evolve and change and be a little bit different. So it sounds like as time goes on, it's not like the loss is going to change. You're still going to suffer that. But at the same time, it just gets a little bit easier to work through. So, but yeah, just ask for help. And it's okay to talk to someone. I mean, it's not a bad thing on whatever form that works for you. Yeah. Thank Mm -hmm. you. That's a great note to end on. I appreciate both of you for being here and for talking about it. And one way or another, I know that we'll all talk again soon. So thank you a lot. Thank you. One way or another, I'll talk again. Good night. When it's supper time. Grievers, it is my hope that from today, you will take that which serves you and simply leave the rest. If you connect with what you have heard, please subscribe to get notified of my new episodes every week, and please feel free to share it with others in the suicide loss community. If you are so led, I would also be honored if you would leave a review so that others might find us more easily. You can find me and all ways to connect with me at my Instagram, The Leftover Pieces. I want you to know that I know how very, very hard life is now. It's true that we will never be the same, but we are going to be okay. We will figure this out somehow, together, and we will keep our loved ones with us because there is no getting over or past grief, only learning to live more gracefully alongside it. Only through talk can we keep their memories alive learn to live again, and bring some awareness so that less will suffer. Join me again next week, and we will keep the talk going. We will sign off today, as always, with the wise words of my Alex's favorite, Peter Pan. Never say goodbye, because goodbye means going away, and going away means forgetting. Grievers, no one here is forgetting. Talk soon.